Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Madrigal at the Movies with Rob and Rob. I am one of your hosts, Peter Madrigal. Hey, guys, and I am Rob Federick, and I am so thrilled to be here tonight. Rob Schulte here. Another episode, another fantastic wild card evening. Rob, you have brought something to the table, and please just take this special episode away. Well, I don't know if I brought something to the table, but I definitely Sorry. brought someone to the table. <laughs> That's and what I meant, is a of course. Very uh, talented and uh, interesting character that we have today. We have Spaz Steve Williams with us, or is it Steve Spaz Williams? Why do you prefer Spaz? I think that's the one on my jail arrest records. There you go. Well, guys, for those of you who don't know, Spaz is a wonderful director and an innovator in a lot of ways. I don't want to be taking away a lot of the spotlight from him. I would love for him to tell us a little bit about himself as well, but we're so privileged to have you, uh, Spaz. We really want to pick your brain because you sure. kind of have uh, a dent in movie history in a lot of ways. So uh, this movie, this podcast is about movies, and we'd love to to kind of hear what what you have to say, man. Sure, dented me. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I think Spaz. If I were to like start real quick, it's just like, sure. what is the beginning for Spaz in film? Uh, in film specifically or in the sort of the film I kind of fell into kind of ac- okay. accidentally. I was really more interested in animation, you know, right. and, oh, wow. and drawing cartoons. I knew I was, wasn't going to cut it at university, so I just wanted to draw. So luckily, you know, outside of Toronto, you know, where I'm from, there, there was a course at Sheridan College that taught animation. And so classical anime, there was no computers back then. So I, I took that for three years. I loved it. And there, you know, there's no jobs in animation. It was like my little pony and care bears. And I really, <laughs> that's right. You know, and a lot of the guys went to those studios, but I knew I was going to cut it. And, and I'd sort of been involved in computer graphic computers in general. My dad was with IBM. So I kind of knew computers, but there was never really a graphic side to it back then. But um, I ended up joining a company in Toronto called computer visuals back in about 84 and um, they were doing two-dimensional slides and shit. But, you know, I wanted to draw and stuff. So, you know, you try and collaborate. Then the big, big thing happened when I joined Alias Research in 86. Okay. Right? That was a, they were making a three-dimensional modeling system. Wow. So they, oh. they wanted to hire an animator. So they brought me in. And I knew engineering kind of thing because I know how to build with my hands and build with models and new data. You know, the sort of the rudimentary form of it. So I became a sort of a real hotshot modeling stuff in 3D, hard surface models. And then I thought, well, I want to do walk cycles. And so one thing led to the next. That kind of went crazy. I went over the world with them. And then um, I freelanced a lot, did a lot of military crap, you know. And uh, ILM heard of me, heard about me. I never thought I'd ever work in films. You know, to me, I was just really interested in um you know, characters and stuff and an engineering standpoint and numeric control milling and I just format and the engineering specifications, Wow. you know, and, and I had made these big statements in the early eighties. I said, you know, one day we're going to be doing computer generated people and, and creatures and everyone laughed at it. <laughs> oh, wow. And to me, it was just, it was um, inevitable because, you know, the human eye sees 10 million colors, cathode ray tubes at the time or, oil-based developing emulsion, film projection, now LCD, LED, OLED, and all this. It's just a bathtub full of color ball bearings. I said, right. and humans are completely enamored with trying to replicate themselves synthetically, and CG is just sort of the beginning of that whole side of it. 
fascinating. This is that's that is. I'm sorry, like my mind has been blown already. Thank you. Two <laughs> minutes into the podcast, but like the idea of colored ball bearings and that's all humans see. Yeah, is, well, you, you that's, gotta, that's it. Well, if you look at the evolution, you know, humans have been enamored with so, so like the cave paintings when that happened. Right. Okay, I think I sent Rob a clip of that. I yammered on about that cave paintings. Those yeah. were, that was not art. Those were stories. That was reality. And then right. you get the Italian frescoes and the Italian frescoes coupled with religion. That is a snapshot of reality because the Pope said so. Right. Yes. Right. right. And then yep. all of a sudden the cave paintings become expressionism and art. Then the right. Renaissance period comes along. Again, tied in with perspective and Lumiere and all these like advances in drawing and observation and replicating it on canvas. And the Italian frescoes become art. Right. You know, black and white film, that becomes a truth. Okay? Right. So and then, every time we're sneaky, sneaking along, we're essentially trying to replicate reality. You know? Yeah. Yes. And well, now you look at the crap, you jump ahead. Now you look at the crap with video games. I mean, right. eventually, you know, look at Neuralink in San Francisco. Right, right. Calling chips in monkeys' heads. I said, you know, so eventually this whole goggle shit, that'll, that'll disappear. You'll be playing video games in your head. Sound, yeah. sound, sound familiar? Yeah. You know, Rob, this is something to, you know all about, right? Yeah, we're, I mean, we're, we're just replicating the cycle. We're just trying to replicate ourselves, right? Yeah. So, I'm yeah. Sure video games and all that crap. So, well, I mean, I, I got to tell you, it's interesting. And I want to touch on uh, a little bit, Spaz, because you, you've worked with uh, one of my favorite directors, uh, Jim Cameron, and he is very much of an engineering mind that likes to kind of engineer these complex films and push the technology forward. And you were part of yes. some of that. So, I'd love for you to. Elaborate a little bit about that, but touching on what you said about video games, uh, Rob, the other Rob and I are both like big video gamers and we like to stream and stuff like that. And I've really taken a a love for uh, virtual reality. I feel like as a kid, I always wanted to put myself in there. And the more that you talk about this replication of reality, it's kind of like interesting how the lines are almost getting blurred now, you know what I mean? Between reality and synthetic reality and where we're going to go, you know what I mean? It's it's really fascinating. Yeah, Robin, on top of that, uh, Spaz, I would love to know, like, from your perspective, this idea of an uncanny valley of like, is there a spot where you can't make it look any well, more real? Yeah, well, I, I, I think it's subjective at that point. Okay, and, and um, I think you know, we we uh, we sort of, I mean, look at two thousand and one Space Odyssey. Okay, yeah. Second sequence had a black monolith. What do we believe every fucking day from Arthur C. Clarke? A black monolith. And we look at wow. this, and this is reality. Right. Hello. Right. 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 Well, fuck, I think that Jobs did it as a joke, you know? <laughs> <laughs> the iPhone. <laughs> it was just like, that. maybe, maybe, yeah, this was his monolith to, to humanity, man. The, the, the interesting thing is that everything that's unique to us is on this, right? So you have SIM cards. So eventually... You know, what we know is awareness. We live in this carbon based platform. Eventually, we'll be able to move. And this is what yeah. people love. You know, they 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 say they don't. But you ask somebody, would they ever want to live forever? No. When would you know? I don't When would right. you want to die? Well, right. when, well, suppose they can. In other words, people can't answer that because if they had the option to live. To, so this idea about carbon based awareness and moving it to silicon based platform. Eventually, right. we, it's like a SIM card in your phone. Right. It will be, you know, you want to be a girl, you want to be a fucking animal, you want to be anything. You know? <laughs> wow. wow. So wow. awareness, a death, death becomes an option, not an inevitability. Uh, That's yeah. A, <laughs> it's, well, uh, it, it, 
It reminds me of the Black Mirror episode where yeah, I know, you know I've heard I've heard I've heard that that's what they're doing with it. I wrote that shit years ago, but that a lot I, of people have, have hit Cameron and I used to talk. That's what I was going to say is that it's not a new idea. Yeah, well, I hit Cameron once years ago, ninety three during the mask, and I hit him with this thing about I called it digital Babylon, and I said, you know, it's synthetic actors living on a synthetic platform, and they're on TV and they're in movies and stuff, right. but they exist only in a data set. You know, and they have their own life. And then he wrote Avatar, and he said I had, had inspired him. To wow. 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 Well, you, you worked with Jim back uh, with uh, The Abyss and T2, right? Like in the ILM yeah. days, right? Can you tell yeah. us a little bit about that and how, how that was? They brought me in. They brought me in at ILM because I knew Alias really well, right? And they had they were working on a film called Body Wars, which is a fly through the heart at Epcot. Yeah, so. yeah I've actually ridden that ride before. So I went in to sort of do the blood cells for him and figure that out. And then they said, hey, let's stick around and do a demo for James Cameron because I knew Beast Blind modelers at that time really well. So I did this demo of this, you know, uh, moving pseudopod. And right. DePay De wrote a, um, you know, a, um, a refraction shader for it and gave the impression wow. of refracting the environment. So we got the job fine. So I animated 18 scenes, 72 seconds for the abyss. Right. You know, and that was uh, still optically composited. It wasn't even digitally composited. Back wow. Then. And Whoa. And Cameron, as Cameron had said, had that failed, he could have yanked that sequence from the film, right? Right. So he came back, back to us with Terminator 2, and this character was intercut throughout the entire film as the antagonist, right? Right. Yeah. So right. I realized pretty fucking fast, I have, to, I have to build a character. I have to build the T-1000 in data. So Wow. Bilderman, it was alias version 2.4.1, which is a forward kinematic system at that time. It was pre-induced right. kinematic. And uh, so I built the T-1000 in data, right? And uh, we had a, some off-the-shelf proprietary software that closed together the four-sided B-spline patches at that time to give them C2 continuity. Okay. And then we had a cubic reflection map to give the impression of the, you know, the chrome. Right. Chrome's not a color, it just reflects the environment. Right. Yeah. Right. So yeah. So it was really those two films that got the ball rolling. You know, that's and so we, interesting. We had done water and we had done Chrome, but we had right. never done anything living and breathing. So that's until what Jurassic Park. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> can you can you tell us a little bit about that Jurassic Park story? Because uh, I mean, we have a lot of uh, fans that know a lot about movies and listen, but you know, I, I think that that's just such a great story of like not just okay. innovation, but pushing with your gut you know what i mean so and we recently covered it which would be great yeah, yeah we just come off um terminator 2 in like june of 91 and so we were all brought out to dinner or lunch by muir and he said you know uh spielberg's doing this film jurassic park and can we add motion blur or stop to motion blur to stop motion because everything's going to be done by tippet so DePay and i bat up right away and said why don't we just build the whole thing in computer graphics every one of the table said no right so i Secretly went back. I started to build a set of bones, just like I did with Terminator 2 of the first walking T-1000 in bones. Right. Mm -hmm. Then I, you know, built the skin over top of it. So I spent about, about a month building this and I had the walking Rex bone test playing for Kathleen Kennedy, Frank Marshall, Mirror and all. When they came walking, I ambushed them in November right. 91 and they saw it and everything changed. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah, but I feel what, like that's that's awesome in the sense that like you knew that this could be done, and yet Hollywood, in a way, or like the, the, the studio saying like, "Hey, no, no, let's not go." But you you decided to you decided to kind of just be a rebel and go with it anyway because you knew the potential. Which honestly, 
Spaz, I mean, like, if that wouldn't have happened, I don't know that movies, like, I don't think that Avengers would exist right no. now if it wasn't for the early days of CG yeah, that, like, I, Jurassic I Park. I apologize for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you, so you, you're not an Avenger, you're not a Marvel fan? No, I, I had actually said that Jurassic was kind of almost the beginning of the end of filmmaking because gotcha. what we was we had 35, 40 shots in that film, not right. 2,800. Yeah. Right? And yeah. The, the reliance on visual effects and computer graphics, you know, uh, they started redoing. I mean, we were rewarded with Jurassic with Casper the Friendly Coast. I oh, yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Casper when it was 2D. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. Huh. yeah. <laughs> Revisiting all these films, you know, and, uh, you know, so that reliance and doing the characters and all of a sudden you start deviating from traditional storytelling methodology. Right. You know, where the camera is flying all over the place. And Spielberg yeah. a great statement. He said, never put the camera where you wouldn't believe. Right. Right. And the problem with computer graphics that free that up. Right. So there's a very, very murky gray line between a video game and, and, and a movie now, as you yeah. guys. Know. So yeah. Well, and there's a difference between like, Sorry, Spaz, I, cut, I didn't mean to interrupt you. All right. No, it's okay. I was going to say there's a difference between like um, when you take out a wall and put a camera behind someone's shoulder just to get the shot yeah. and then but put the camera in the floor, you know, like or floating above. The, well, it's also the, I, I see on like LinkedIn, people post a lot of cycles and, and the camera. Li I said, boy, that's some superhuman cameraman. Holy right. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Literally tracking with a running character. And I said, you know, OK, drones. Yeah, technically. And there there also is, you know, people are sort of accepting of, of what what can be done now. Yeah. So it becomes a part of movie making. So theoretically, you know, and again, is this like an older guy in movies talking about this, the the films of today? Yeah, there's a bit of that. But yeah, like I said, you know, you look at comparisons like Alien. Right. You, know, you look at Alien it was shot in like it was, you know, photochemical. Right. Yes. It was oil based mm -hmm. in the mulch and it was probably like a, a 6000 stock of Kodak stock or some version yeah. of 5270. Right. Uh, but and you literally look at the way it was transferred. And so you never saw the full creature, you know, right. that Scott did it. His lighting was beautiful. Right. Right. Uh, and with today's CMOS APS lenses, sensors that they use and like the red Epic and these you cameras, see all they, that, they, don't yeah. have, they don't have the color lookup table as the freedom of physics with photochemical in my right. view. Right. Right. Gotcha. You transfer a four two zero monitor, a four two two monitor, right? But the four 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 monitors, four right, right. monitors, you can see that photochemical stuff transferred beautifully. Right. Right. Know? And right. compounded with the fact that Jurassic, in this case, was the first time you, you saw the full creature for right. five seconds. Right. In Alien, you never see the full creature really. <clears throat> you see bits of the creature. Right. So, there's this wonderful thing called the imagination fills in the blanks and it right. tells yes. you it think you saw it, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Well, I've always liked like practical effects over CG. I mean, there's a time and a place where you mix. Yeah. yeah. You mix like a healthy blend. Yeah, exactly. Too. Well, but, you know, if you guys want really good sort of litmus test of that, yeah. watch, the, watch the mutilation. That is the, the computer graphic version of Yoda and look at oh, the actual right. Frank Oz puppeteered version. Right. It's unbelievable how great yeah. it is. Yeah. Yeah. 
so yeah. good because not it's not perfect in this, but it's sure. got personality to it, you know. And you you kind of notice in the CG version of Yoda, like there's no depth behind that skin texture that they're putting on. Like you feel like yeah. it's a it's a you can tell it's a texture map. The thing that I think that's interesting to bring up though, I was recently listening to the DGA podcast where John Favreau talked about making uh the Lion King remake. And how they shot it in a virtual environment. But what he did was, and I think it was like something like the Japanese called like Wabu Sabi or whatever, where it's the human imperfection. He said that he went back. Yeah, Wabi Sabi, where he grabbed his actual cinematographer and like they built a rig that would be like a virtual camera that he could see through in virtual reality. But that he would shoot it as if it were on a live set so that you can get that human imperfection and you wouldn't be putting the camera in places that you were like just flying around or whatever. That would work, and he was like, even the drone, the aerial shots, they got a drone operator to actually fly yeah. a camera in digital space, so that you would have the human touch to it, and it wouldn't just be these perfect camera moves, which I think. Yeah. Mm. You know, even Favreau did fall prey to some of the shots that were definitely done using a digital camera, and right. it, yeah, the camera anticipate, not even anticipating the action. Right. The camera should follow the action as opposed to being bolted to the character, and you can right. see so. You know, um, but it, it's true. The, these the imperfections are are. It, it's kind of like a record. You know, people are going back to LPs now. Yeah, mm-hmm. as there's imperfections, and that you have literally a la- a stylus that goes on the surface and creates a thing called kinetic energy. Right. Whereas the laser stylus, it's interpretation digitally, which is fully acceptable wow. to kids these days. You know. I I also I mean I I think I want to bring this up guys just because like me being a director and a filmmaker like I grew up I mean I went to film school and I shot Super 16 and that was like you know I was I learned about like the exposure and you know like your photo fo- and then like it was like almost like opening up a gift when you see your dailies it was like oh did we get it or did we not and then when I went into the professional world I kind of transferred into this digital environment where like everything was immediate I was looking at it at a monitor and like in the raw and I could see it a lot of people debate whether like film and and digital is like you know like digital is not as good as film or blah 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 like i personally just it's just the medium that i got into but having the base in film helped me to develop my at least digital cinematography to kind of be in that space that you were talking about earlier i don't know spaz you as a director if you want to touch on a little bit of the projects you've done uh, what do you feel about that would you ever want to shoot film on film? Probably, yeah. yeah. I mean, just for, but depends on the project, at least. Gotcha. Yeah. Pretty painful, but um, yeah. you know, I'm more of a janitor, you know, than a director. You know, I just kind of repair <laughs> broken things, you know, a mechanic. Right. Well, I will say my first ever exposure to the RED camera, other than like the presentation they did at USC, was with you, Spaz, when you uh, shot a commercial and you ordered two RED cameras, I remember. Uh, that was my first glimpse into the workings of the red. That was yeah, like the red it, one had been just just came out or something. Yeah, oh, wow. well, they're color lookup tables. I mean, again, it's interpretation interpolation. You know, they're right. they're going through the sensors as opposed to the free physics of photochemical, right? But it's got its own things. You know, so it brings to light all these different sort of hyper realities. But there's just something about the transfer when you look at. I raise the example of Alien again. Right. When you look at what Ridley Scott, there's just something about the blacks that do not exist. Right. With with the, yeah, with digital. With the digital cameras. Yeah. Yet, you know, they will. But it's fully acceptable to the viewing audience these days. You know. Yeah. And um, and that with that also comes with the cumbersomeness of moving around film cameras that make a hell of a lot of racket. Like yeah. going to Arabia, that was eight perf. That was right. shot eight perf, you know, Vista Vision. 
And huge. with eight part Vista Vision, that's a massive camera. So yeah. there's not a lot of motion, but they you put 25 or 2,400 feet of film or 4,000 feet of film, and the opening shot is like five minutes long. That's right. Just Jesus. Right. It's only acceptable to an audience. So it becomes the difference. But but today's kids, the TikTok generation, wouldn't be able to accept that. I was going to ask you about that, Spaz, too. Like, what do you, and and guys, I'd love to get your take on it because we're all growing up in this digital age, too. Like, I find it great that we have these DSLR cameras that now shoot 4K on a full frame sensor. Like, if I had that available to me when I was in high school, I feel like the here's my are, thought. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Rob. No, no, no I was just going to say that like in response to Spaz's like TikTok generation, yeah. like, yeah, there are some uh, creative issues I think that arise from that, that give me a little bit of pause and worry. Yeah. Uh, if I'm going to lean on the positive side of things though, if I had the ability to make a short film in my youth with the ideas that I had before I met my rich friend in high school, whose parents had a digital camera, <laughs> right, right, right. you know, like uh, I would be making a whole bunch of stuff. My hope is, is that kids that are given this yeah. since youth are maybe going to one day be like, yeah, but how did they used to do it? And then maybe there will be a generation of films that are going to come out in like 20 years that are going to just knock my socks off. And I am all for that. And that's where I'm going to hopefully uh, think this is going. But you guys may have other thoughts on that. I love, see, my whole thing is I just, I love film cameras. You right. know what I mean? I'm very old school as far as that's concerned. Yeah. You know, like a movie like Pulp Fiction that we just uh, yeah. reviewed. Yeah. I like the graininess that comes with like uh with with that comes with viewing something like that. Right. You know, it's, it's the so emotion. Yeah, exactly. I like the imperfection that comes with uh you know watching a movie that was shot on film. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. the, the whole, you know, I, I don't mind like the the Avengers movie. I, you know, I watch them. Yeah, yeah. You know, I watch all these new films. But fun, it, it, yeah, but. exactly. But they don't have that same kind of grit that old films had. You know, well, like there's good, almost the bad, like a tactileness you know? to it. Look at what, yeah. Scorsese, like you can- look what Scorsese had done with Raging Bull in 1980. You know, I mean, he he could have fully shot a full color film, but for some reason he decided to remove a level of awareness, you know, for the viewer. Right. So, yeah. And it's a black and white film. So you end up concentrating on specific things. You know, it's like King Kong or any of those black and white films or Laurel and Hardy, you know, so you end up if you remove certain things, it's like having five senses. And if you literally shut the volume off on TV, you concentrate more visually on Mm -hmm. what's happening. Right. So, you know, it's the same thing with brain in the film or scratches in the record. Yes. Right. Your brain is given a job. And that's one of the problems with today's film is that imagination literally has been neutralized. It yes. seems. Good know? point. Yeah. Like yeah. one of my favorite um, like horror films, for instance, I always go back to horror films. I like right. the look of 70s horror films because it has that has that nice. weird grainy look, you know, like The Exorcist and. You know, yeah. what, what What were you going to say, Rob? Oh, I'm just uh, right there with you, Peter. Yeah. You know, I don't like really, really clean looking horror films, yeah. you know? Exorcist, well, yeah. Exorcist was an excellent film. It's shot and done. It came out in 73. Right. You know, that's another example of where everything was clicking there, man. There was not yeah. a lot, not a lot, but there was implication. And the implication was wonderful for the imagination. Very well acted. Fan, fantastic editing job, too. The mere fact they got that film out in 1973 is a freak show. 
right? No kidding. It was so intense. It's still intense. Oh yeah, it's still I mean, I, I don't I, I don't know anyone else that doesn't have at least someone in their family or tangentially related to them that says, When I saw Exorcist, right, yada yada yada. Like right. my dad every year when he would remember the story of having to sit in the front row of the Exorcist, oh, God. he would just tell me that story. It right. doesn't matter what time it was. And I know that like and Spaz, maybe you'll respect this. Maybe not. But like anytime I get the chance to talk about T2, it's going to happen. You know, like I remember to the day, and I think I've said it on this podcast before, I once worked at a bagel shop and my manager goes, uh, <laughs> you know, people say 2001 A Space Odyssey is the best sci-fi film out there, but wouldn't you want to watch T2 any fucking day of the week? And I was like, oh my God, yes! I worked in a lot of films. That was about the only one I can still watch. Really? <laughs> well, what, I want to get back... Glad I, I chose that those... one for the example. Right. <laughs> Sorry, well, Rob, you I want to get back to those thoughts, but I think we need to take a quick break, guys, between yep. and uh, more thoughts on T2 and a couple of the other Space films. Odyssey. We've got Spaz Williams with us. Uh, we'll be right back. All right, we're back. It's Magic All at the Movies with Rob and Rob and Spaz. Rob, where are we at on this? So, Spaz, you, you mentioned about T2 being the film that you worked on that you really like. I uh, Before this podcast, you and I were having a couple chats uh, via text, and you also mentioned, and I would love to bring this up and un- understand why, you told me that, because uh, I told you Jurassic Park was one of the films that actually inspired me to be a filmmaker because of just the wonder and the like the uh, like sheer amazement that I have at like, saying, wow, dinosaurs or possible. I, I mean, I watched it when I was 10 years old. So like for me, it was, I didn't understand the wizardry involved. I just wanted to know that I wanted to be in that medium. But you told me that this was the movie that made you not want to be a filmmaker anymore. Uh, <laughs> can you elaborate on that and touch that a little bit? Well, it's kind of true. It's because after that film, for me personally, there was no more challenges, right? Wow. It, it, you know, mm. so how many more creature films? And what's the next thing I'm going to do? Shoot my, I mean, shoot my mouth off about digital creatures that or digital humans. Right. That's incredible. And so that no longer became a challenge. And it's kind of like he wept when he had no more empires to conquer. Right. Mm. Yeah. Right. And right. There was a little bit of like, you know, um, Alexander the Great in that, in that he wept when there was no more environment. Yeah. So it's, right. it's like, there's no challenges for me anymore. Right. Right. And, and and you're absolutely right. I mean, even though the technology's come further in terms of, you know, more photorealism or whatever, like it, it really, you're right. It, it basically opened the floodgates as to like anything is possible now. What else do we do? It's kind of like when it came out and I did, you know, I, I you know, I built the wrecks. I did majority of the wreck shots. It's kind of like, ah, shit. You know, God damn it. <laughs> now what? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, fortunately, mass came along and that was sort of a lateral deviation because it was like trying to te- tell Tex Avery gags using this new media. <laughs> right. 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 So that was a temporary kind of bandaid for a while. Right. Yeah. I was going to ask you if that was like a little bit of like a sigh of relief, but a temporary a bandaid is probably the better way to say it. it. Um, We've been using this technique to wow people and scare people. What wouldn't it be funny to make them laugh? Right. No. Yeah. Right. So that, oh, was, that, was sort of the, that was the motivation behind that. How, you know? how, how, what was the experience like of, you know, because Jim Carrey in himself is kind of a cartoon in his face you know and i what that that was one of the 
first movies I I actually saw The Mask before I saw Ace Ventura or any of the other uh, Jim Carrey movies. And I remember my dad and I went to the theater and he like absolutely loved this movie. We were like raving about it. But we loved the idea because we watched the Looney Tunes. So like I got those Tex Avery references right away as a kid. What was it like to like bridge that like working in terms of like his like how how did the did you guys use facial dots like how did how did that um, process go? There was you got to remember like when we're working on this film the 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 World Wide Web hadn't even come out yet right right right. there was motion there was no motion capture back then right you know we experimented on Terminator with a very early Italian system actually of mocap with ping pong balls and we put them on my dog and then film my dog. Wow. Wolfie. But, but it was, it, it was never going to work. So I just right. handed, I just handed all the walk cycles with the Terminator. But in the case of mask is that, you know, we kind of pick up where Carrie left off, but it had to be under the guise of like Tex Avery and Bob Clampett and Fritz Freeling, you know, right. and, and uh, Chuck Jones. How right. much? How much you know? leeway were you given on that? Were you just uh, allowed to a just lot. do Chuck, what? Chuck Russell, Chuck Russell still remains a very good friend. I just talked to him today. Right? Oh, that's awesome. Still remains a really good friend, and um, you know there was there was during the time because Tex Avery, a lot of the gags he would tell, like the the eye bulge, everything was orthogonal, so it was more two dimensional. The problem is when you go three D three quarter with these gags, it rem- again it removes a level of the authenticity. Right. Of- initially was and you had veins in the eyeball and shit right we can make oh shit we can make real looking veins that's right. the problem right and so it's like what they did with roger rabbit where they had shadows on a two-dimensional character it just right. it took away from it you know right right so right. We, we were trying to be very sensitive to the authenticity of a tribute to the looney tunes thing yeah yeah you know and of course it ran away and you know and you know there's um like I said, there's cycles for that. And people are trying to use 3D and then tracing over it with 2D and trying trying those different types of things. So, Saz, I actually have another question because uh, I don't know if you got to see it yet. I worked on a short film uh, that was sci-fi. I ended up having to do like all the compositing myself. And, you know, like, okay. well, well, it's... What's up? Was that that Vimeo? I actually yeah, almost- yeah, the the Rive and Destiny. It's uh, I've, I've been I went back. I've gone back to my roots. I'm I'm working on a cartoon with my brother Harlan right now. Nice. You know, oh, nice. You know my brother Harlan, right? Yeah, of course. What uh, uh, one of my favorite scenes with your brother is uh, seven minute abs in something about Mary. I love that scene. Still say- come back to that one yeah. probably monthly yeah. for me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just drawing, drawing. We're working on another cartoon right oh, now. Oh, that's but. awesome. And that's he draws as well. Cool. He has the, the I mean, artistic. Has, I mean, he's got, he's got that, that silly puppy dog pals on Disney. That's his whole show. Right. Know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So got it, you know, so he's got these silly ones, but they just scoop them up, you know, right. Har, Har, Har writes them and does nice. a character design for him. And so, but this one's, this one's, way out of left field this latest one so <laughs> that's gonna be cool I, I would love to see it um I'll, I'll, I'll show you some stuff eventually nice well but what i was gonna ask though was i worked on this short film and i did all these visual effects and i am lucky that i have after effects that provide so much you know it's it's an amazing tool to be able to get a lot of things done but one of the things that i had to do a lot was uh camera tracking yeah and one of the things that strikes me as remarkable and i wanted to understand how you guys did the process was that you know, that technology didn't exist in 1992, 1993 when you guys were making Jurassic Park and you weren't locking down the camera because Spielberg said he didn't want to have lockdown shots. How did yeah. you guys go about 
All right. Mimicking well, let me, that. Let me backtrack for a second. So in the abyss, of course, there was no ground contact with the character. So with the exception of a locked camera right. like coming out of the water. So in the case of Terminator 2, like the walking out of the fire, I right. spent four, I've spent four months animating that shot, building wow. and animating that shot. So Holy shit. The original camera was shot with a Tondro camera and Tondro okay. was a PC based camera that would record the move. You, so you do the move, Adam Greenberg would do the move. Right. And the camera would remember the move. Okay? Right. Motion control so you could, style. You could re, re, repeat the move. Right. right. But there were things going on, like there was fire. Right. So we lit up the fire. We had the T-1000 run in halfway and metronomically walk out with a completion. So that's element one. Right. Second element, turn the camera on, same move, right? But light the fire up again. Right. So you have two elements now. The now clean plate, cross, right? You have to cross dissolve over element one and two. So the T-1000 pops into the frame instantly. Wow. And it's my job to, to figure out where the T-1000, you know, in the live action character and then back them up as the digital character. in there. Yeah. Okay. So in order to track and collect, collate the data from that set, Depay yeah. and I came up with a method where we came up with these little cube, these boxes. Right. And we knew that the squares, the little grid lines were four inches apart from one another. So we right. do patches with these on these grids. So I right. knew that when I reconstructed, see back then you handled everything. So you yeah. did all your tracking, you did wow. all your modeling, you did all your animating on right. one show. Right. You know, you sent it off to Stefan Fangmar and he, and he, and he ran the render. Wow. So, so I knew so that information I would I would I would have the camera move in alias at that time, but it was fucking all over the place. But in order to re-register it, I knew these passes of the the four inch cubes on there just to line those up perfectly, and I would have the exact replication of the two dimensional you know film itself. Wow. In the case of Jurassic, in the case of Jurassic, like the Jeep chase where he busted through the log. Right. I animated oh, yeah. That's, That's amazing. We literally had glow sticks 10 foot <laughs> one another drilled into the ground. Wow. Okay? 10 foot apart and 10 foot deep all the way down the road. And we painted out the grid or the, the painted out the glow sticks every frame. And you just wrote wow. those out, like basically like painted over. And that's and that's how you knew your depth so that in the software you could drop the game be like, this is a simulated 10 feet to no, like match. Not, it was all done by hand, man. Everything oh, my God. <laughs> No, there's no, there was no collation of data whatsoever. I knew that wow. this where the camera starts. It's running out. The camera's running a hundred feet. Of, well, in the case of the red, that shot, it was a lock shot. But the next shot, JC five, where the camera was tracking and the wreck smashes his head into the Jeep was a moving camera as well. So same thing, glow sticks. I knew the camera was moving 50 feet. I had track marks where I measured everything. That's ridiculous. And when I reconstruct it, then I hand it off to Roto and rebuild that entire, or when Goldblum's getting chased by the Rex and the yeah, manual. Yeah, with yeah. The, mm -hmm. With the flare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that yeah. camera's also tracking back. So I knew the beginning and end point, and I knew where the footfalls were. So it's a lot of trial and error just to get the camera to move, first of all. That's unbelievable. God to me, damn. Jurassic Park, I still watch that now and it holds up so unbelievably well. And the thing is that it's not, if you look at it, right, guys, I don't know if you guys agree or not, but like it's not a super heavy action based movie compared no, to what not. we see today. 
And what's sad is that like, I remember I, I was dating this girl and she came over because she had never seen Jurassic Park and I had gotten it in 3D because they did the re-release. back to dating for you, doesn't it, Rob? <laughs> <laughs> He's got it, Rob. He's got yeah. your number, man. <laughs> but, but the funny thing was that we watched Jurassic Park because she, she had never seen it and I had seen it in 3D in the theater for the re-release because I wanted to see Jurassic Park in theaters again. I bought the 3D release and I and I was like, you should come over and watch it. And at the end of the movie, I just turned to her because you know I love this movie. And I turned to her and I was like, ah, what do you think? And she's like, it's okay. I was like, get yeah. out of my house. And she's I never nostalgia will, <laughs> I will like, I, treat I, you I could, poorly, my friend. I couldn't wrap my brain around someone that's at Jurassic Park. She's just, eh. You know, yeah. but she was from a younger generation, so I guess. I have the same opinion, so. so. <laughs> uh, Rob, do you have something to say to Spaz during this? <laughs> no. I can't shed. We spent all this time, like, building these characters, doing run cycles, and the stuff that didn't make it into the film was right. almost more interesting than what did make it into the film. Interesting. And you have to remember, everybody was learning on that film, including Spielberg. I mean, the, right. man, the man did Jaws, still in yeah. my view, that film. And that film was supposed to be a disaster. Again, you're seeing implication. You're seeing bits of the shark. Okay? Right. So everybody, Spielberg himself, I believe, deviated from his traditional storytelling methodology because now for the first time he was seeing a creature he could have on the frame for five minutes. So he were five, five seconds. So he didn't do the typical type of um, story development on the end of it. He tried with the kids and, and, uh, and uh, Sam Neill and all that stuff and tried to sort of have these like Spielberg is notorious for sub stories and sub stories, right? Which is great. Absolutely. Well, he did it in Close Encounters. He did it in Jaws and everything. And this was just freak. It freaked out Dean Cundy, you know, the DP. Yeah. It freaked, mm -hmm. it freaked out everybody. And so I think because of that, you know, you had a new type of film and definitely a, a, a new film that was going to imply what the future was going to be, you know, it had, for pros and cons. You know, sadly, you know, in a, in a way. And so, as I said, personally, the reason why it said it ended filmmaking for me is because there was no more challenges after that in my just in my in my selfish little way. Right. Well, uh, Spaz, I had a question for you and maybe there's no real answer to this, but, um, you know, Jurassic Park, T2, The Mask, like all of these sh movies have their own obstacles or whatever. But I wonder if. You worked on Spawn too, correctly? Yeah. Correct in '97. Really? I wonder if that yeah. had its own level of like, yeah, you're uh, obstacles. Own, yeah, you're making your own movie. I mean, basically. Yeah, I, bet. I remember watching the movie Magic episode about Spawn. Man, God, it was it was it was really hard because we had we had this deal after Mask, right? And they said, "Look at this was a surprise hit. If you guys ever want to do your own film, fine." So myself and Depay. And Clint Goldman, you know, you know, Clint, Rob. So yeah. we had left. We had left. And, we, and Todd McFarlane said, do oh, you want to do this film? Great. So we did the whole film, you know, and sort of came back as clients to ILM. But it was just, you know, Mark directed it. And it was just, it was too much, man. It was just. Yeah. Oh, wow. See, I didn't expect that. Like, yeah. there are, I, my memory has that there's a lot going on in that movie, but geez, did they, I, try, to, can, did they really try to like go overboard with the CGI or what happened on that? Uh, no, it's just, there was just too many shots in the thing, you know, and uh, gotcha. some of the violator stuff was fun. You know, my brother and I used to read spawn all the time growing yeah, up. So I had was, to ask that. It was a good, but the, the problem is how are you going to tell a story about a guy, a superhero or a, a special ops guy who dies, go to hell, goes to hell and comes right. back. And because, exactly. Yeah, exactly. An hour and a yeah. Half. It was but just, I got 
It was too tricky. It was tricky, but I got to tell you, man, I remember when I watched that movie, and I know that a lot of people had mixed reviews about it and stuff like that, but I thought that what like the movie did so like the makeup in that movie was amazing. Yeah, like the NB did that, but you know, Laguiziamo really stole the film. I mean, he is so, that guy. Is so oh cool. god! Oh yeah. yeah, he was great. He was great in it, man. It and been called, it should have been called Clown. You know, I mean, it was, <laughs> it was yeah, such a strong character. You know. Yep. Yep. And, and so great. Really Michael Jai White, in though, in that too. makeup, though. Well, sorry, Rob. Yeah. He, yeah. John Leguizamo disappears in it, but when you start seeing Michael Jai White in yeah. that, like, burn makeup, too, yeah. and then yeah. in the spawn outfit, it's like, yeah. A fun movie is a fun movie, but yeah. I can believe that that thing it was a headache. It, it was, it was a real headache. Well, film, films are, I remember. You know, Mark was directing it. He wanted to direct. I didn't want to direct. I said, I'll shoot second unit. You know, that's fine. And that was fun. But, you know, but I remember Mark, he got sick. He was burned out. And he goes, he goes, Spaz, the next time I do a movie, it's going to be an old lady in a room. (laughs) (laughs) And that's it. Right. That's what that's what the pay said. Well, we can attest to that. Yeah, well, springboarding off of what you just said, Spaz. Um, what movies have you directed? Because I want to see some of your films now. Because you know, you were just one crappy film for Disney called The Wild. Uh, That was another nightmare. But that was just all animated. It was a kids film, and I I just I didn't you know it didn't start out a kids film. It started out like something more sarcastic, and then. Uh Every time we'd screen the film, they'd say more like Lion King. I said, "Look, you got the wrong guy, man. I don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't do Lion King." Okay? Yeah, yeah. So They're coming uh, off if you want Jurassic a Spaz Williams Lion King, you'll get yeah. it. But- <laughs> no, no. yeah, it was it was coming off the heels because I had done all the blockbuster commercials, right? The Guinea right. Pig and Rabbit. I directed all those. And okay. So- Disney came to me and said, "We have the perfect thing for you with furry creatures and all." I said, "Okay, well." <laughs> right. You know, Uh, so I want to take our our last break real quick before (laughs) we wrap up, gents, because I still have a couple of questions for you, Spaz. Yeah. So uh, we'll be right back. It's Magical at the Movies with Rob and Rob uh, with our special guest, Steve Spaz Williams. Um. I know I've asked multiple questions, gents, but I, I got to ask this one. Um, Spaz, everyone wants to know, was there any big stories from 97 Star Wars era? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and I promise this will be the last one from, from me. These guys can ask whatever they want after this. Uh, <laughs> special it was, editions. It, it was very interesting only that uh, I remember Lucas wanted me to do the Jabba sequence, right? And so I said, well, okay, do you have the camera? information (laughs) and he goes he goes no and i said well what about the original interpositive which is a first strike off the neg he goes no everything's lost and i said well i said well with these typically you have lens information and he goes i shot the whole film with a 35 and a 50 that's it holy holy shit Wow. Yeah, I shot the whole film with a 35 and a 50 that's it it was amazing and the thing about lucas you know, the thing about Luke, he was so matter of fact about it. He goes, well, you know, I want uh, Boba Fett in this shot. Can you find somebody that fits the outfit? And just, you know, I said, sure. I'll <laughs> find one of the animators. So I found a guy, Mark Austin. All right. You know, and I told Andy Paul and I said, Andy, you know, fit this guy into the damn, go to the archives, get him. Lucas wants, George wants me to shoot him. So I matched him up on a blue screen with a 50-50 on a split. Right. Shot 
on film. And he was just so like, now nah, you do it. Like, yeah, let's fast. Let Mr. <laughs> he used to call me Mr. Williams, right? Let Mr. Williams do it. You know, right. He was, he was so matter of fact about stuff, man. That's you know? so interesting. Is that remarkable though? Like you would think like this sci-fi fantasy epic, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like star Wars is yeah. shot. Maybe like, you know, like some of the wide shots were shot on these like 16 millimeter lenses or whatever, mm-hmm. like really show that. No, a 50 and a 35. Wow. That's, that's, wow. that's what he said, man. There was no camera reports on anything. Crazy. The original neg was lost to those sequences. Wow. So we had to go to an IP, which is a first strike off the neg. You know? Wow. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. Thank yeah. you for answering you that for me. Uh, how about you guys? Any uh, any any big ones hanging on the tip of your tongue? I, I took my shot with the Star Wars. So no, hey, listen, I, <laughs> I I asked about Jurassic Park and the camera tracks and stuff like that. Like Spaz, I also kind of I mean like obviously we've talked a lot about like your VFX days, your animation a little bit. Um, what what are you working on now other than the cartoon with yeah. Harlan? Like what what what? Because you said there's no more challenges, but now, now that all this new technology, VR and all that kind of stuff, and like where. Uh, uh, you know, I, I've really been messing around a lot with, I know it sounds funny, sketchbook and having fun screwing around with that. And nice. I, I dig it. the guys at Epic are friends of mine, Kim LeBray and those guys. So I have an Epic boxer here and, I'm, you know, but, you know, I, I just haven't jumped onto it. You know, I back to drawing a lot, you know, and uh, I love it. You know, obviously, you know, I'm a blacksmith and a welder, right? So I'm constantly building, building engines all the time and tractors. And, you know, that's, that's sort of what my, my world was prior to, you know, getting in deep well, into the computer graphics side. Wow. What is the what is the movie that inspires you to get into filmmaking? Ha, huh, good question. Um, there's a there's a lot of them, man. You're like Jason and the Argonauts, I think. You know, oh yeah, oh shit, nineteen eighty. A lot of the old Harry Howes and stuff that really had magic to it, you know. Yeah. But you yeah. know, here, here's an intro. You asked that question. I was, we I know. was expecting like Superman two or something. <laughs> <laughs> like a running gag. <laughs> no, no, we're talking. You remember a lot older than you guys, right? But I mean, films like Alien and the epic films, right? That you know that that I you know in terms of the visual effects. But like I said, I was not intending on getting into films at all, right? But I just. I love drawing, you know, yeah. and I've been driven by, I've been driven my whole life, how things work, you know, mechanics, physics, you know, being a physics major, like all this crap, you know, running around in the, in the universe brain here, you know? And so like the computer, no computer graphics really didn't define everything I was interested in. It was just a deviation for a while. You know, I know it's strange, but I love black, I think. You know, with blacksmith, I've been blacksmithing 20 years, you know, and, uh, you know, it's like with that, you follow a procedure and there's no control escape in black. You, you fall, you, you blow it. Right. You fucking start again. You know? Right. Yeah. Right. Some you got to go back. Steel, you know, and a coal forge. And I just love the basics of everything, you know. That's awesome. That's really and, cool. And, it, you know, that's really cool, Spence, because it, it makes me think of like the analog nature of the creative mediums that we're all in, you know, whether that be film going from film to digital to this, you know, when I work in audio, it's like, well, I learned on an analog board and now I record digitally. Now I go this. And just to know that, uh, someone of your skill set is also a blacksmith to go like, no, to make this, I have to take this raw material and then do this and then put it in the forge. That's, it, it just makes so much sense to me. And that's so cool to hear. That's awesome. Computer graphics and internal combustion engines are just as fascinating to me. It's like, literally you take metal, you take air and spark and fuel, and it, you put it together in some configuration. And if you do it properly, it comes to life. 
That's amazing. Yeah. Remarkable. And so that's why animation was fascinating to me because you could stop time to zero. Right. right? You know, oh, wow. You could, you, could, you could slow time to zero, right? To me, that's always fascinating, this whole notion, because I don't even think time exists, really. Right. You know? Well, I feel like it's always it's a our construction of it, if you think about it. I've always had this idea of like, what if we didn't have memories? How would we perceive time? You know what I mean? Because I feel like it's recorded in your brain, but what is time to all of us? It's an interesting thing. Spaz, I was going to say, where can we, uh, where can uh, our listeners find you if they want to look up more information about you? Like, what do you, are you any, present on any of the social media networks? And there's Steve Spaz Williams on the LinkedIn account. I'm always posting like about physics and always posting about my insane. It always boils down to how things work, man. Yeah. You know, really you, yeah. you said that there were no more empires to conquer. Right. Yeah. Well, what's yeah. your dream project now? Like, what what are you? What is your dream? What is the? What does Spaz Williams want to accomplish? No, no I, I just I really like drawing. I like yeah. sewing. You know, I, I just am fascinated by how water goes down a drain. You know, and you uh, hell yeah. You know, it's just all the peculiarities. You know, uh, and, and and basically, you're not going to figure it out. I mean, you know. All we do is organ. There's no such thing as, you know, invention is just a participation trophy. That's all it is. Man. I love that. I love yeah, that. That's there really it is. Cool. That's cool. Well, guys, uh, does anybody else have anything else they want to add? This Spaz, anything else you want to want to tell our listeners? No, I, I really appreciate it, guys. You got me, you got me into some good areas here. Great questions. You know, <laughs> you well, Spaz, I will tell you, we'd love to have you back anytime you want to talk about any nuances Absolutely. of uh, psyche. Me. Yeah, he knows how to. Rob knows how to get me. You know, I I, I could go off on Beethoven. I could go off on physics Ooh. for a long time if you want. Fantastic! Hell Fantastic. yeah! Well, you this know? has been amazing, Spaz. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, I wouldn't remind our listeners though that uh, they can follow us on anywhere you listen to podcasts. Leave us a five star rating review on Apple Podcasts. Peter, would you like to take us home for the evening? How about Rob? Take us home. Oh, good brought, call. This is your brought, right, our well, special yeah, guest. Yeah, sure. Thank you so much, Spaz, for joining us tonight, by the way. It's been awesome. Real yeah. pleasure. Seriously. Spaz, uh, I think I share with the, with my co-host that this has been a mind-blowing episode and we just kind of want to dive in further. So yeah, I share Rob's sentiment is that whenever you want to come on, we will have you again because I'm sure there's a lot that uh, that we can pick your brain about, man. But I also want to talk, yeah, next time I get on, I'm going to talk about the genocide of eyebrow mites. I mean, look at this. Look how many eyebrow mites <laughs> I just killed. That's I know, man. Why is it okay to kill eyebrow mites? Hello? <laughs> Yep. I just made so, bread with yeast today and I feel guilty about it. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, uh, for Steve Spaz Williams, Peter Madrigal, and Rob Schulte, I've been Rob Federick. You guys have been listening to Madrigal at the Movies. We will catch you again next week, guys. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye. Madrigal at the Movies with Rob and Rob is hosted by Peter Madrigal, Rob Federick, and Rob Schulte. The podcast is edited by me, Chris Tyler, and produced by Rob Schulte. If you're looking to support this podcast, check out the merch link in the show notes, or just leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. If you have any suggestions for a movie you'd like us to cover, you can reach out to me on Twitter at Christos Tyler, or to Rob at Rob K. Schulte. Thanks, and we'll see you again next week. <laughs>